the one GP is the only person who really kind of made an effort to connect with us. He connected with us because we saw him together. The Quackers we've been seeing him for years. It was the only person who connected with us. Everyone else was straight to the baby. And I understand that at that point, I needed additional medical care for the baby. But I feel like I was forgotten. Like I was just a carrier. Yeah, just secondary. Welcome to the Emerging Minds podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Emerging Minds podcast. My name is Beck Edser, and today I'm joined by first-time parents Sarah and Claudius and their little boy Christopher. Emerging Minds has connected with Sarah and Claudius as lived experience family partners through the development of our e-learning course, Strategies for Infant and Toddler Assessment. We're interested in hearing today about how they have overcome some of the challenges they've experienced to develop a strong and nurturing relationship with Christopher, as well as hearing about the benefits that they have experienced from having a supportive and child-focused GP. I would like to thank them for taking the time to share their insights into their pregnancy and new parenting journey with us today. Please be aware that this podcast mentions an experience of suicidal thoughts. If at any point you find you are struggling, please talk with a friend, colleague, your supervisor, seek help, or you can call Lifeline on 13 1114 or Beyond Blue on 1300 So welcome, Sarah, Claudius and Christopher. I'm wondering if, Sarah, you could tell us a little bit about your son, Christopher. Little Christopher here, or Chris, is 11 months and a week old now. Um, he's turned one on the 1st of December. So he's just currently going through a big learning patch where he's absolutely obsessed with these flat books. They're like his favourite thing. So he's he's a really cheerful child. We put him in childcare very early for the social interaction um, because we decided very early on to only have one child. So we wanted to make sure that he had plenty of social interaction. Yeah. yeah. Which is good because it's showing. Like he's very bright and interested and happy and loves people so much more than we do and Claudius what has it been like for you becoming a new dad it's been a challenge you really discover things uh, about yourself that you never knew existed before some things warm and fuzzy and other things you don't expect you you, you look back at yourself and you sometimes makes you think about your your own childhood like uh, when he was really young, like in, in the first few weeks, I found, for me personally, I, I was going through f- immense feelings of guilt. I felt really guilty in, you know, his first week. Uh, I'd done something bad, that I'd, I'd brought him into a world that he was going to have to suffer through. But I think that was just a personal experience and just something that I had to, to reconcile with myself that it's... But it's, a, it's something that we all have to go through. But uh, in the end, it, it didn't last long. But it was it was one of the more surprising things that I experienced early on. Very unexpected. Was there anyone who you went to for support at that time? Our GP really uh, was was an immense help. He clarified very very quickly that those feelings were really associated with exhaustion and that you know, we weren't doing anything wrong, we were looking after him, we were providing him with food and, and security, comfort, shelter, and 
we weren't doing anything wrong. It was more personal aspects, you know, uh, feelings of exhaustion that uh, were generating those, those thoughts. And now you seem to be growing in confidence as a dad. Yes, yes, very much so. It's, it's a lot easier to take him out. Um, I, I have to say that now that he's developing to be his, his own little man, it's a lot easier. Before he, he started to develop his personality, it was, he had no idea really what he wanted. Or, it's, a, it's a lot easier when he can communicate what he likes and what he doesn't like. His, his current favourite thing when we do things together is riding on my shoulders. It's the world. Yeah. That or flying. He likes his flying. And, you know, it, it's moments like that, it, it, it reinforces that you're doing the right thing and he's enjoying your company and enjoying the activities. And when you can get that kind of feedback, it, it helps. It, it boosts what you're happy doing, what you think would be a good activity to pursue. Yeah, so when Christopher was very little and you're not necessarily getting that obvious reciprocation from him, it sounds like your GP helped to really reassure you that he was absolutely appreciating the nurturing that you were showing towards him and that this was being displayed in different ways that are hard to appreciate when you're so lacking in sleep. Our GP, um, you know, stressed that you know, if... You know, especially at his young age, oh, no, if, if there was something that he didn't like, he would voice it. He would, he would show that he didn't like it. And so, so long as you know, so long as we, we we fed him at the right times, you know, we kept him comfortable, kept him warm or cool, made sure you know he was he was well looked after. The, like I said earlier, the, the feelings that I had in the early weeks were were very much related to exhaustion, because um, unbeknownst to us, he he loves a routine. And uh, we didn't know that at the time. So he was sleeping for about 60 minutes and then waking up. Do you remember? <laughs> yes, I remember that night that you came in holding him, crying because you were worried about the, the feelings of guilt. But you also hadn't slept for about 48 hours at that point. So yeah, it was, yeah. that was a... It was hard. Yeah, that was, that was a day. So we very cool. much had to um, uh, split our our observation into shifts. Yeah. So um, instead of, you know, just going until we feel tired, we, we had to separate ourselves into, uh, what are I took the night shift? Yeah, night. it was like 12 hour shifts. So one of us was awake at every, any time. I think that there needs to be more support for fathers. Like this whole two weeks and go back to work thing is just not viable. Oh, it doesn't oh. work. Claudius took six weeks off and paid because we needed him because Christopher was... At first, and he was a very fragile little boy and everything. So, yeah, we, we basically didn't see each other for that whole six weeks. Well, we just took turns. Well, for, the, yeah. for, the, for his first week, he was, you know, infantile intensive care. Um, he was in the hospital and, you know, we, we spent a week at home, you know, worried about him constantly because um, when, when he was born, he, he had inhaled some fluid and uh, his, his lungs weren't responding terribly well in the first week but you know he, he was in good hands but it doesn't negate the fact that as you know first-time parents you're worried about you know your child it's in hospital in a in a crib under observation it's it's a very confronting experience and we learned a lot about ourselves during that time too because there was one night there where they rang us up and said we need to put a gastric like a nasogastric tube back in because he's not eating properly so we both freaked out 
we rushed to the hospital because I needed to see him. But as soon as we got there, I was calmed down. But Claudia's got really upset seeing him under the under the lights and everything. It was the oxygen. Oxygen, yeah. yeah. And this was just after COVID had just, like just hit South Australia as well. So the borders were mm. open. It was going rampant. Like it was it was just an awful time. That sounds like a challenging time for you both. Um, Sarah, when you look at Christopher now, as we all are today, we can see that he's a very happy little 11 months old. He's starting to crawl and stand up. Is there a certain amount of pride that you are starting to take in what the two of you have been able to nurture in him? Absolutely, absolutely. We're proud of his ability to, by the fact that he goes to the books, I'm proud of that. We're we're very strict about his screen time, so I'm proud of that because we've actually successfully kept that going for nearly 12 months. And he's growing into a person who, like, I love his personality. He's such a happy, loving, caring little boy. Like, I'm very proud of who he is already. But I love every step that makes him more of less of a part of me and more his own person because it's I was honest, it's just it's hard to explain but it's incredible to watch it you is, does it, that too haven't yeah. you I have seen uh, changes occurring with Christopher over the last you know four five eight weeks that's 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 truly remarkable it, it is almost it is hard to define when you see a little person like Christopher is start to become aware of their surroundings and express their their own feelings from seemingly nothing it's it's an incredible thing to witness you you, you're seeing the creation of something new something unique and what would you say to other new parents who are just starting this journey that you were both starting out on 11 months ago about what babies need to get to this stage trust yourself like back yourself in. That's something that our doctor said. Well, we we're very, very lucky to have a good doctor. My biggest thing would say back yourself in. You know more than you think you do. A lot of this is actually quite instinctive. Sometimes sometimes you do have to listen to that voice. Yeah. Inside <laughs> the voice inside your head. <laughs> that says a good one. No, no, it's it's okay. What you're doing is is it's a, it's okay. Just take a breath. Just wait. <laughs> yeah. Um and also that you'll get so much advice don't listen to it if it doesn't work like that's something that I was um I had to work out for myself because I have a tendency to listen to everybody but some people gave us advice that just wasn't good um and also that it does get easier like as he's got his own personality now he can tell us what he wants even if he doesn't use words and that is so much easier than when he was a newborn and like trying to work it out because you have to learn yourself what he wants to which whenever I said that to me, I'm just like, that doesn't make sense. But it's true. Like, you really do need to learn every step of the journey. Yeah, as a parent myself, I can absolutely appreciate that, Sarah, that not all the advice is going to be right for your family. And so you've told us a bit about your really supportive GP. Could you talk to us about some of the other practitioners that have been there with you through your pregnancy and postnatal journey? Yeah, so when I first came down pregnant, my GP was on holidays. So I went and saw a different GP, someone from the same practice that I'd never seen before. And unfortunately, it was the opposite end of the spectrum in terms of sportingness. The pregnancy was a planned surprise. Like, we were hoping to get pregnant, but we didn't expect it to actually happen as fast as it did. 
So when I found out I was pregnant, I was terrified. And I've got, I'm on mental health medication for BPD. Um, so I've gone to the GP, like, I think I'm pregnant. Did the test, she's like, yep, you're pregnant. And that was it. And then I'm just like, well, well now what? And she's like, oh, well, we're gonna take you off all your medications because they're no good for the baby. She was not supportive, didn't even, didn't tell me what the next steps were. i terrified, I've got no experience with children, no experience with pregnancy, and no mental health meds now. Um, so that was, that was a bit of a freak out. That was awful. So when I was about eight weeks along, I ended up having a mental health breakdown because I had no support, had no meds. Ended up in the, um, the hospital for mental health, which was horrible because of course they couldn't do anything because I'm pregnant now. My body wasn't mine anymore, it belonged to the baby. Which was awful because I, here I am out of control. So I managed to get an appointment in with our regular GP, our very supportive GP. And I said to him when I went in there, I need to either go back on my meds, have an abortion, or I will kill myself. There are three options. I can't do anything else. And that's when my, my GP was, he was amazing. He's like, we'll get you back on your meds. They're fine for you, the baby. They'll be, but you need to live through this. We need to keep you alive. And he's the only GP who actually focused on me. Everybody else focused on the baby. And I was serious at that stage. Like, I was so far gone, I didn't know what to do. That was, that was, that was a few weeks in. I was about eight, eight to ten weeks. That, that was, was a headache. That was a headache. And if the first GP had been a bit more supportive, I wouldn't have got to that point. But because she's just like, oh, you're pregnant, you'll be fine. That wasn't fine. It was a very um, dispassionate mm. and, you know, impersonal. There wasn't anything really, you know, joyous about that. That, that initial confirmation. Yeah, no, we weren't no. happy. It was, it was like, it was, it was actually surprising, to be honest. I don't know why it was like that. I, I, I don't understand why there, there, there wasn't more. She didn't even say congratulations. Yeah. The, 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 yeah. The, no, it no. was, it was, it was very clinical. Yep. Clinical, very clinical. Disconnected. Yeah, absolutely. Like she just diagnosed people with pregnancy like so many times in a day that she just didn't care anymore. But I was terrified. I, because like I said, he was a planned surprise. Like, we wanted a baby, we were trying to get pregnant, but I just, I'd accepted it wouldn't happen due to some, like, you know, trying in the past with other partners. Turns out I just got really lucky, actually. But I, so I fully had accepted I wouldn't get pregnant. So when I did get pregnant, it was such a shock. I really needed someone to tell me it was going to be okay. And I didn't get that from her. What kind of difference did it make for you when your regular supportive GP was able to provide you with this alternative response? Just a whole bundle of weight that was just lifted off of us. And it, it honestly, if I hadn't had that, I, don't, I wouldn't have made it through the pregnancy with a pregnancy. There was no way. It was, it would have, it's terrifying enough to be pregnant as it is without carrying that load as well. It is a lot of responsibility. And I think it's, it's a lot more responsibility than you, you really consider that, you know, you, you're responsible for another human being. You don't have a choice in the matter. It's, it is there. It's, it's yours. It's inside of you for nine months. And you have to look after yourself and you have to look after the baby that's growing inside you yeah. at the same time. And, you know, that responsibility is one of the ultimate responsibilities of a human being. And I don't think in, enough thought forethought is given to it right no one tells you how hard it's going to be when you until you get pregnant oh yeah i was sick for the whole nine months or yeah no one tells you that beforehand no no um, you, you, you'll you be morning sick for the first few weeks then you'll be fine <laughs> no no no, no, no Sa I was sick sarah was sick every day to the day 
the morning that he was born. Yeah, it was. Morning sickness every day, all day, until he was born. And our GP, like I said, was the only GP who treated me like a person. Everyone else kind of just treated me like an incubator. And I hated the loss of independence. I actually loathed it because I'm a very independent person. And when he was born, like, I quit breastfeeding within the first three months because I, well, actually, I never actually breastfed, but I quit because I was expressing. I quit within the first three months. I just wanted myself back. I wanted my body back. I hated that. And Kristen's fine. He doesn't need, like, he didn't need, like, you know, fed his best and everything. And I don't think anyone really talked about that. I certainly never had anyone mention to me that you won't be yourself for, like, years I feel like myself again now, and it's like an amazing feeling. But now we've got our families complete, but I'm back to being me again, thank gosh. Yeah. Were there any practitioners who supported you through the decision to transition to formula feeding? Actually, no. Um, I never talked to anyone about it. I just did it. I just did it because um, my stepmom passed away. Um, and my dad needed a lot of support because they'd been married for like 22 years and I couldn't support him and, you know, keep expressing and I was going to go back to work. So I just pretty much just yeah. said no. I spoke to Claudius about it. I said, like, you know, what do you think about this? This is where we're standing. And Claudius is absolutely supportive. He's just like, I want you to do what's best for you. Christopher will be fed regardless. I mean, you do what's best for you. It's not as though you had refused to, to, to give him... You had, because you were expressing, you, you had supplies and uh, what was it? It was three months. Yeah, about three and a half had, months. Well, if I remember correctly, when you came and you expressed to me that you, you, you wanted to stop, you, you it was it was getting to be too much work and you needed to get back to your normal routine. I, I, I reassured you that, you know, you'd given him three months worth mm. and that's, that's a fair amount. Yeah. And it was becoming uncomfortable, and it was hard. And it's, I, and it's some women enjoy it. I didn't. I didn't. I just. And he never talked to the breast, and I didn't enjoy it. So, um, I, I recognise that some people will do it, and some people will push themselves through. My decision was not to do that because I just couldn't do it. Mm. But our GP had by that point, or re, like we'd gone through the the you know the blues and everything, so we both had it pretty like quite badly. Um, we'd gotten through that stage, and he'd already reassured us that. You know, he's a healthy, happy child. We're very fortunate to live in Australia with really good health care and stuff. And, yeah, with that backing from him, even though I hadn't actually spoke to him about the breastfeeding, having that backing from him, knowing that we could make a decision based on our best knowledge, um, it was like there in the, mo- the back of my mind that helps. So. It really does sound like your GP did quite a lot of normalising with you, reassuring you both that it can be a really tough stretch in the first few months and that you can go through times where you might feel pretty flat, but also really reinforcing all of the positive things that you were doing to care for Christopher. And that was rare. The one GP is the only person who really kind of made an effort to connect with me. Um, Everybody else connected with the child at the point, you know, at the fetus, but yeah, he was, well, actually, probably us. He connected with us because we saw him together. McQuackers, we've been seeing him for years. He was the only person who connected with us. Everyone else was straight to the baby. Um, and I understand that at that point, I needed additional medical care for the baby. But I feel like I was forgotten. Like, I was just secondary. a carrier. Yeah, just secondary. Yeah. And my wishes and wants, especially, you know, in the hospital, almost forcing breastfeeding on people. The first experience with, with trying to introduce... Christopher to breastfeeding was a was 
It was actually a little bit traumatic. An abject disaster? It, 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 was, was, it was quite traumatic. Yeah. Um, to, to say that the one of the midwives literally grabbed Christopher's head and shoved him against the breast really roughly is not an exaggeration. Oh, it, no, it not was, at all. It was actual fact. And after, you know, 15 seconds of, you know, trying to latch on, he, he was getting frustrated. Sarah was getting frustrated and it ended up with him being in tears and Sarah being in tears and that's that's not an experience. No. Though. And I know that, it, you know, some of it is because they're under, understaffed, underfunded, really busy. I fully understand there's a lot of reasons why. But something like that yeah. should, it should be more than, than like a job. Mm. That's having a baby come to the breast is, is a fundamental part of human nature and, and a part of our evolution it shouldn't be a like a job or yeah. a, like a, a click and connect it's not going to work that way no it's not a piece of lego and because of course he had to go straight to the NICU I never held him after he was born I didn't see him for what five hours after he was born so I never had any skin on skin contact because he had to go because he wasn't breathing properly when he came out mm. um so that really wouldn't have helped the issue either but I was also terrified i've just been through an awful pregnancy i've never held a newborn up until i held my own son and he was so small like he weighed less than our cat who's a tiny cat like he was only i don't know it's really like that big but he was he was so small and fragile he, he was it was terrifying just over three kilos and there can be a lot of messages for new parents that you should just intuitively know what to do with your baby right from the start. Absolutely. And no, that's not the case, especially if you don't have siblings, if you've never been around kids. Like, I know that they do prenatal classes and maybe I kind of missed out because it was at the beginning of COVID. So I actually, um, my prenatal classes were done online, so they weren't quite the same. And I also missed the last one because I gave birth. There is a, a difference between theory and practice. Mm. And, you know, you can tell somebody weeks worth of theory and when it comes to the practice it's not the same oh absolutely and we were in a very very fortunate position but with christopher being in NICU, so we had the support of the NICU nurses plus i was in hospital for an extra day because i had cholestasis women who give birth and are out in four hours i don't know how they do it no. um like the bleeding the mess the pain that you're in i had a, I had a very easy birth and i was still you had a very easy birth and you didn't have an I didn't have an epidural or anything. I had no pain relief. Did it? Um, I had Panadol. Kind of epic. She did it on Panadol and that was it. Yeah. Uh, that's a whole other story because I didn't believe I was in labour because I didn't match up to what the machine, like the machine wasn't saying I was in labour. So therefore I wasn't in labour except this one nurse who held her hands on my stomach and went, I reckon I can feel her contractions. Nobody believed me. I was nine centimetres dilated before they believed I was in labour. So, um, I'm pretty sure one from the time from believing I was in labour to giving birth was two hours? Um, no, 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 it wasn't, wasn't even that. So the doctor came in and said that you, you need to be taken to a room because you were nine centimetres dilated. Um, you started having your contractions as they were wheeling your bed to the room. Oh, you mean the, yeah, as so I was going into transition as yeah, we were going yeah, into the room. Yeah, you were going into your transition yeah. as they were wheeling you to the room and within about 45 minutes of being in the room, Christopher was born. Yeah. Wow. So I went through the whole of my labour with no support. Also, because I wasn't screaming because uh, I had social anxiety and I was sharing <laughs> the room with somebody. Um, so, of course, if I'm not screaming, I'm not in pain, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's a whole thing. But anyway, yeah, no, they, um, that's just another one of those disconnects where they don't see the person as a person. 
like I'm saying to them, I'm not feeling right. What is going on? Oh, you're just going through Braxton Higgs. You'll be fine. It's going to get worse. It probably didn't get worse, by the way. That was at the worst point when they said it was going to get more painful. Yeah, so I understand that that the hospitals are very short-staffed, but they do treat the mothers too much like, what would you say, almost like in a mould, like, um, you know, if, if you're not having the right perfect sort of contractions on the taco, then you're not in, you're in labour. And they don't listen when you say, actually, I'm probably in labour because I've been contracting for, and being first baby, it was irregular, but I've been contracting since, like, painfully since about 2 o'clock in the morning because it woke me up. And it was 6 o'clock when I got yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was there because my water had broken, but he was early, so they were, you know, monitoring, which they do. So, yeah. Thank you for sharing this experience, Sarah. Listening to you both describe these experiences, it sounds like you've really been there absolutely every step of the way, Claudius, which may or may not be similar to the way in which you were parented yourself. I'm interested to hear from you. What is it that has influenced you having that kind of commitment and involvement as a father? I can't imagine myself being disconnected from him. In my growing up, you know, my, my, my dad wasn't um, as as connected with me as you know, I, I am with Christopher. I feel in myself that I have a lot that I want to share with him, you know, my knowledge of things, because I'm, I'm a bit scientifically minded, you know, I, I have, I, I love, you know, space science, astronomy, uh, chemistry, the physics, physical sciences, um, biology, physics, chemistry, geology. And it's, it's my hope that, you know, one day I can share that, that passion with him and, you know, take him out, show him the stars, you know, watch space stations and satellites fly overhead, um, you know, look at rocks, identify rocks, you know, do physics experiments and teach him basic chemistry, things that I've learned. And for me, I think the some of the, the, the greatest memories that I'll have is sharing that that information, that knowledge, that experience that I've gained with him and hoping that, you know, he finds some happiness and joy in the learning of it. So, Claudius, I wanted to ask you one more question in relation to the helpful support that you've all experienced from your GP. And Sarah earlier described that instance of the integral support she received from your GP with regard to her medication and the effort he made to connect with you. For you, Claudius, what have been some of the ways that your GP has demonstrated to you that your role as a father is important and really valued in this parenting partnership? Well, physical, how directly looked at me, directly addressed me. I think that, that was that was that was Primarily, when, when, when we were there as a couple and, uh, you know, we, we shared we shared our grievances, our, our feelings at the time. And what he did, he addressed Sarah's feelings and he explained to Sarah how to, you know, how to work on them. And then he turned to me and he did the same with me. And his advice to me was equal. And it, it wasn't any less, it wasn't any greater. He, he addressed my concerns with the, the same amount of concern and, you know, um, wholeness of advice, uh, I would say, um, in how to, to work through my feelings 
and reassure me that you know, I wasn't doing anything wrong. There, there, there are times when, in a slightly different context, where I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm considered secondary, perhaps not consciously, but um, like for example with, uh, with his daycare, um, more often than not, if, if they, they need to contact one of us, they'll, they'll contact Sarah first. And only if they can't contact Sarah, then they'll, they'll try me. They'll never, they'll never contact me first. You know, it's not that it, it, it distresses me, um, but it, it's just an interesting thing to note. And we noted it specifically because our, um, so in our like daily lives outside of Christopher, I have a senior position at work mm. and I'm quite often uncontactable. I'm in meetings or I'm, I have to stay at work or I've got things I need to contact, but Claudius is the one who will usually go and get him. So it kind of would make more sense to just go directly to Claudius because they very rarely can get a hold of me anyway. But yet they still always insist on ringing me first, which is just that unconscious bias there, I think. Go to the mum and if not mum, then dad. We both had really rough childhoods due to very different reasons. Both of our fathers were victims of generational abuse and they passed it on to us. So we were very, very, very upfront with each other about stamping that out. Like we absolutely do not, like, you know, I grew up being smacked, so it's okay to smack my own children. Yeah. Which, no, we 100%, thank you, um, are, are committed to standing that sort of thing out. Like, we don't think, like both of us, we want Christopher's life to be better, better than ours, trying to stamp out some of that latent sexism that's around raising children as well, where, you know, like, Claudius is equal to me. Both of us were raised in what I would consider not exactly, like, standard, my father was a stay-at-home parent when I was growing up, which was really unusual back in the 80s. Claudius's parents didn't work, so, um, well, not, they didn't work outside of the house, they worked at home. So we weren't exactly raised in, like, yeah, standard, you know, husband, wife, 2.5 kids, wiping a fence sort of style anyway. We into... want to make our lives better for Christopher, but we also yeah. want Christopher to have all the opportunities and more than what we had when yeah. we were growing up. And I don't want him to be scared of of voicing his opinion because he might get hurt or, you know, like all the things, that, you know, the typical stuff that children don't do. Don't ask stupid questions. Yeah, right. I want him to, to grow up confident. Like he doesn't, we don't ever raise our voices at home. He doesn't know what I sound like. We're shouting. We never yell at each other. We treat each other with respect so he's got that basis to learn from, even though sometimes he just wants to, like... <sighs> just have a just let it out it's not we no. want him to be raised in a respectful At the end, household a, a, a good example is you know his little picture book he's he, he like he loves his picture book to, to pieces literally he's going to he's going to he's going to break it but you know he's he's 11 months old and it's his book why get get upset about it you can encourage you can say don't rip it don't you don't scream at him don't don't smack him don't hit him yeah and that's the whole thing if you hurt him for asking questions he won't ask questions if you hurt him for like for and mentally or physically hurt him for kind of questioning the way the world is and he's not going to question it I want if, if he asks a question even if it's a silly question and you just say don't ask stupid questions well he just won't ask questions yeah and we are so committed to that because that that stops now. This is our line in the sand. That needs to stop. And um, we can't change the world, but we can change everything.
And I think that's a really lovely description of the commitment both of you have to parenting in ways that are intentionally different to the ways that you were both parented yourselves. It's been an absolute delight having the three of you here today. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you all so much for joining me. If you're interested in our strategies for infant and toddler assessment e-learning course or any of our resources, please visit our website. Thank you for joining us today. Visit our website at www.emergingminds.com.au to access a range of resources to assist your practice. Brought to you by the National Workforce Centre for Child Mental Health, led by Emerging Minds, the National Workforce Centre for Child Mental Health is funded by the Australian Government Department of Health under the National Support for Child and Youth Mental Health Programme.